So I had some really good feedback last time I was here. Uh, a few people said they like my hair. I did overhear a few people say, well, where's the ball guy? Um, so sorry to disappoint, he's away. So he's asked me to come and speak. And uh, you might remember if you were here that in early August, I think it was, I spoke on uh, resurrection, what it means to, uh, that because Jesus was resurrected, we'll be resurrected, and how we look forward to that day when, we will, uh, when Jesus comes and he resurrects his people, and he, uh, that's his victory. Uh, is, uh, it says in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, and that is part of uh, us being resurrected. Um, our death will be defeated by Jesus. Right, so if you've got a Bible, I really do recommend going to 1 Corinthians 15. Really important that you have a Bible, otherwise you're going to get lost. There are some Bibles at the back, so if you don't have one, maybe you can uh, go to the back and pick up one. Or if you've got one on your phone, that would be great. Jess, you got a Bible? Morning. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be looking at verse 35 uh, down to the end of the chapter. That's verse 58. But before we uh, kind of go through it, I actually want to look at the last verse because the last verse is the uh, crescendo. It's the uh, it's the kind of it's the action point at the end of a bunch of kind of theology, you could say. Because if we don't actually uh, practice what we preach, if we don't actually, if our lives don't actually change because of the truth that we hear, then we're just hearing random truth, right? But actually, there's an action point at the end. So I want to start with the action point, and then or the or the things that we should be doing, so that we can actually then think throughout this message, uh, how are these truths changing the way that I live my life? So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 just says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I say again, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love that he's talking to the people of Corinthians, and I don't know how much you know about the Corinthians, but they weren't always doing some great stuff, but he calls them my beloved brothers. He, he comes to them with love. I don't know if you're ever having a conversation with someone and you'll be talking about very hypothetical things, right? You'll be like, oh, yeah, well, well of course, everyone, you know, gossip's really bad, gossip's really bad. Yeah, we all agree that, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, you'll be like, and then if they look to you and they say, you know, you should really gossip less. Oh, what do you mean? What? Why are you attacking me personally? You can't start telling me how to live my life, and we kind of get very defensive. And, uh, and I think, actually, the reason is he's done a load of theology. We can all agree on the theology. But then when he says, when someone says to you, be steadfast, you need to be steadfast. You need to be immovable, and you need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Then you're like, who are you to be telling me what to do? But he says, my beloved brothers. He's talking to those who he loves. When someone does come to you and say something that's especially convicting or telling you that you should actually be doing something, you really want to know that they've got your best, that they love you. And when we tell others, when we want to challenge others, you've got to make sure that your heart is in the right place. Do you love this person? Is that why you want to instruct and guide and lead them? Do you love them? And Paul loved these people, and so he was willing to be direct and speak the truth to them. So that's my heart this morning. I, I want to grow in love. I 
love you guys. Some of you I don't know, unfortunately. But I want to grow in love for you, and I wish I would love you more than I do. But I will do my best. Okay, so in verse 58, before he says, my beloved brothers, he says, therefore. I really am analyzing every word, aren't I? Therefore. As, as John would say if he was here, what is the therefore, therefore? I love it when John says, what is the therefore, therefore? There's a reason why it says therefore. It's because we, can, we should be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord because of all that theology that's come before. All that theology that's come before. We need to be looking at the theology because what we believe, the truth that we think in our heads or know in our heads, affects the way that we live our lives. So we want to look back, and so that's how I'm going to go, and we're going to read just to start, verse, go back to thir- verse 35, uh, and a little bit of 36, it says, in th- verse 35, this is what came before, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And then Paul calls them, he says, you foolish person. Paul isn't the most polite of people. He does sometimes say things like that. Um, what, what, you know, aren't they just asking innocent questions here? How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I certainly thought that once or twice. What, what, what will my resurrected body look like when I come back? Will I have a bit more muscle? Will I be taller? You know, but then all more serious questions. If I was cremated, how, does, uh, how will my resurrected body be, be come from that? And I think, though, what was happening in, in the context here is that people were using these questions as excuses. People often, there are lots of things, and I think we find this sometimes with, with unbelievers, that um, you'll, you'll, you'll explain something, but because they can't get their heads completely around it, because they can't understand it to the finest detail, they'll reject it completely outright. And sometimes there are questions I have. I don't understand how everything works um, about God and about how these things work. But if I then used something I didn't understand as a reason to not believe any of it, well, that would be, that would be foolish. So we want to... Um, we, we want to ask good questions. We want to be wise. We want to grow in wisdom and knowledge so that we can be a blessing to others. But we don't want to ask questions to make excuses for not believing in things. And Paul, graciously, does go on and give us lots of information about this resurrected body, which we'll look at uh, now. But make, let's make sure that when we're asking these questions about what the resurrection of our bodies will look like, that we're asking them uh, properly. I should say, before I go even further on, I'm aware that maybe, maybe you've, you're not a Christian, maybe you've just come today and you've never heard of anything before uh, about, uh, about our resurrection. So let me just explain a little bit about what we believe as Christians. So uh, we, you may have known that Jesus died and then he rose again from the dead. And so in the same way as Christians, we believe that we will still die and will go and be with Christ in heaven for that a kind of unknown period of time, but that we will be resurrected. And so that Jesus' resurrection from the dead on the third day means that guarantees, which I talked about last time, it guarantees that we will be resurrected again at the last day. And so we're asking that question today. What does that mean? How is my body going to be raised up? What's it going to look like? And why is it important? Okay, so let's keep on reading uh, verse 36 uh, to 41. Uh, You foolish person, it says... What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, 
But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. It's a bit of a strange passage, I think. It's a bit, a bit strange. He's talking about, suddenly we're talking about the resurrected body, but now he's talking about the sun and glory and stars and birds. And I'm like, hang on, hang on. My question was, how were the dead raised, right? Or how, what's my, what am I going to look like? That was my question. But you see, he's, uh, I, think, I think he's echoing Genesis 1. He's echoing that creation account. Do you remember when um, it, it talks about in Genesis 1, each day uh, God makes uh, a, a different thing. So he makes the, the heavenly uh, the sun and the stars and the moon, and then he makes animals on the fifth day, and then he makes uh, humans on the sixth day. And they were all made. And what does he say at the end of each day? He says, and it was good. And with humans, he says it was very good. And so I think he's, he's trying to echo your, he's trying to bring your brain back to Genesis 1 and remembering that, remember, the way things were originally made, they were made good and they were made with glory because they reflected the glory of God. And so, as, as you may know, in Genesis uh, 3, the fall happens and corruption comes into the world and sin comes into the world and uh, wickedness and all the things that we hate in the world came in. And so ever since then, the Bible story has been telling the story of how God plans to restore our creation back to that originally good creation that God intended. And so when we're talking about our resurrection, uh, we're talking not so much about a restart or a hard reset. We're talking about getting back to that beautiful, glorious goodness that we were intended for. It says, doesn't it, that uh, in verse 37, what you sow is not a body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps, of wheat or of some other grain. So he takes, it's like he takes a seed, and we, we are maybe the seed, and it goes into the ground, and it will flourish into something beautiful. And we may argue about, like, well, you know, is it going to look just like me? How is it going to look exactly? I don't really understand. But ultimately, God can do what he likes. When I, if, if I was a kid and you showed me a little seed, like, I don't know, a sunflower seed, and said, this is going to grow into a huge sunflower that follows the sun around all day, I'd be like, what? We, we know that makes sense, but actually it doesn't really make sense. That's crazy. God's created it that way. It doesn't really make any sense. And yet, so God does what he likes. God takes something so little that seems to have no potential and changes it into something that has glorious potential. And so that is what he's going to be doing with us. So thinking about Genesis, thinking about Adam, he created the Adam out of dust, it says in Genesis 2, and he breathed life into him. And when we die, we will turn into dust, and again, he will have to do the same creation. He'll have to recreate, resurrect us again, and uh, breathe into us again. But this doesn't just start when we die and rise again. That's not, it's not just like nothing really happens now, but then don't worry, in the future, you're going to die, and then you're going to be resurrected, and it's going to be all, all great. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, which should be on the screen, it says, it says this, And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed 
into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So yes, we will be made glorious again, like we were in the garden, like we were back in the beginning at Genesis 1. He's going to restore that. But actually that, as we, con- as we contemplate the Lord's glory now, we start to experience and get changed in his glory now. That's something that actually, when I look around, well, I look at my own life, at least I can say, I'm a, I am a better person than I was when I was 18. Now, sure, I'm still a sinner and I'm still, um, I still sin all the time but I am a better person than I was now. And here, if I really have contemplated the Lord's glory all these years, it says that I have, um, I'm being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So I have, in the time I've been a Christian, have been transformed more into his image. Have you, over the last, since you became a Christian, have you been being transformed into his image? Has that been increasing with an ever-increasing glory? It's not something that you've done, says here it's from the lord who is the spirit the spirit lives inside of you it will be transforming you and changing you so we need to be made more and more glorious and one day we will carry that weight of glory one day our bodies will need to be able to fully reflect his glory and it says in a few verses time that flesh and blood but 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 it says in a few verses time Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I cannot fully contain the glory of God. I am. I'm just stuff. I need to, and as it goes on to say, I need to be made imperishable. I need a different body to contain the glory and goodness that I was meant for. Um, I find it quite funny that uh, John Brown, when he's here, he sometimes says, if he talks about you, and he kind of wants to compliment you and say, oh, I can see that you know, um, you're good in some ways. He won't say that. He'll say, I can see evidence of God's grace in your life. He says, I can see evidence of God's grace in your life. What is that evidence? That you've got better. That you are, I, I know quite a few of you here, I know that you've got better, that you've got more good. We don't say more good, that's not bad English. We say better. But you've got more good than you were. And that's something to celebrate. Look at each other and celebrate the fact that you are more glorious than you once were because you reflect God's glory more. You are more good than you were because you're being transformed by his spirit. And God, I want to be more good and I want to be more glorious because I want to reflect you. I want people to see your goodness through me. I want people to see, hey, there's something different about you. What is it? And I will say, it's God who's changing me. There's no room for pride here. If we do say to someone, and I think maybe it's okay to say, you're good, you're doing well, or you, I can see something glorious about you. It's weird language, I'd never say that to anyone. I can see you're so glorious. It's a bit weird. But if I did say that, I think that's okay. We have to make sure that there's no room for pride there. That shouldn't big me up, it should just make me go, because God is glorious. He's changing me. He's transforming me. But we cannot fully contain the glory of God. No, we cannot absolutely do it. So it says in verse 42, if you keep reading with me, it says, so it So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, 
a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And heaven, as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Going back to verse 49, it says, just as we have been just, have we, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And I seem to imagine it in my head. I quite like Lord of the Rings. I imagine Aragorn saying it as he takes a group of people into an army. He says, just as we have been born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Yes, we shall. We shall go. So when we read verse 58 and it says... Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I kind of want to, I want to be Aragorn. I want you all behind me and I want us running forward into the life that we have in God. That we shall be changed into the heavenly man. What a glorious destiny we all have. What an unbelievable destiny we all have. In Genesis 1 it says that, you know, or Genesis 2 I think, Adam was made from dust and then, and then God breathed his spirit in him and he was made in the image of God. We are made of earthly stuff, and when God resurrects us, he will resurrect us into the image of Jesus. If you are a believer, you can already show off God's glory and beauty, but you are made for more. We don't just hold this treasure in, we hold this treasure in jars of clay, but clay can be dropped, and it will be dropped, and it will die and smash everywhere but he wants to put that treasure in some like where do, where, where do we naturally put treasure in treasure chests and they can find treasure chests deep in the ocean after a thousand years because they haven't completely eroded down yet our bodies that will contain the treasure of glory that is as that is god's spirit that lives inside of us that will be imperishable it will last forever In today's society, we talk a lot about self-improvement. We talk about how to make each other, make ourselves better. Now, please don't hear me today that I'm saying that you need to make yourself better. Oh, you know, I'd love to be a bit cleverer, a bit more witty. I'd like to uh, be a bit more muscling. I just don't like the gym. Um, yeah, I basically wish I was like Ryan but with hair. <laughs> that isn't the type of improvement that God wants for me. God likes, I think he is happy with my intelligence. I think he's happy with my muscle mass. I think he's happy with my hair. He has greater plans for me and what's crazy is the improvement that I want to see, that Jesus wants to see in me, that he tells me, hey, be more like this. And he says, and I'm going to give you my spirit that's going to help you be changed. 
So we've got the unrealistic expectations of Instagram or social media or Ryan, and we've got the realistic expectations that God gives us, and he says, but I will help you, and you can get there. If only every time I went on Instagram, I know I see verses on Instagram and stuff like that, but if only I actually saw God on Instagram and I spent all day going, like, like, yeah, double tap. That's what I want to be like. It's realistic. I can be like Jesus. I will be made like Jesus. As it says, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Praise God, make me like the heavenly man. As we go on, verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's two things here that reflect the glory of God. The first is that we become imperishable. There is no expiry date to us glorifying our Father in heaven. Us glorifying God, us living with God, will last forever. We will enjoy him forever. The second thing is that our resurrection is death's defeat. He, Jesus, doesn't defeat death because he's worried about dying. God can't die. He's not worried. He didn't die on the cross. Uh, he did it in, in a sense for his own glory, but he didn't die on the cross because he was worried about dying himself. He didn't resurrect because he was worried about dying himself. He died on the cross. He defeated death because he doesn't want us to die. He wants us with him forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. For God so loved you that he came down to earth to, to make sure that you could be with him. Someone's paying. Last ver uh, verse 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So whose victory is it? Surely it's God's victory, right? Jesus' victory. But here in verse 57, it says he, he gives us the victory. The victory becomes ours. What's my victory? That I'm going to live forever, that I'm going to be imperishable. I'm going to be eternal. And that I, in a sense, by, by death being defeated, I'm part of that victory that Jesus has over death. Like death, you, you don't have any hold on me anymore. Sin, you have no hold on me. We can say, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? You've got nothing on me. I stand in Jesus. He has me. Ours is the victory. He's given it to us. Praise God. We get back to verse 58. Beloved brothers, as I was saying earlier, what does he tell them to do? Be steadfast. Be steadfast. What does steadfast mean? Stand strong. I used to be in boys' brigade. 
and they would have the phrase being sure and steadfast, and it was written on an anchor. And so I associate the word steadfast with being anchored to one spot. What am I going to anchor myself to? What in this world can I anchor myself to that won't let me down? But I can anchor myself to Jesus, to his words, to his victory that he's given to me. I am steadfast. I'm anchored to him. Immovable. Sure, it doesn't mean immovable. I'm moving right now. Am I not doing what God should want me to do? I just Immovable. We know it means something more than that. Um, if you look at Colossians 1, verse 23, it should be on the screen. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Shifting is the same word as immovable. Not shifting, I should say, not shifting. Immovable. And here it's from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So be immovable in the truth, immovable in your hope. It's so easy to get down by the things going on in the world. It's so easy to grieve. It's so easy to feel like, ugh. I, I don't know the endless situations that you are going through, the endless hardships in this room. If I'm sure you could all make me cry with your stories. God doesn't glaze over these issues. God cares deeply about the things that we struggle with, our anxieties, our stresses, our pains, our hurts, the abuse that we've received. He cares deeply about those things. But he calls us to not shift from the hope of the gospel. He calls us to be immovable in him. And we know that this is concrete. It's all, it's so sure and certain in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's so sure and certain. So I am steadfast in truth, I am immovable in hope, and I will work for Jesus. Always abounding in the work for the Lord, it says. Of the Lord? For the Lord? Of or for? Let's get it right. Should I get it right? In. Yeah. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That sounds like effort. Sounds like a lot of effort, doesn't it? Always. About Sundays or Saturdays. On Mondays, always abounding, like Tigger. Let's have I've got kids. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. In 2 Peter, it says that we should be making every effort. That sounds like effort as well, doesn't it? I don't mind the steadfast. I don't like. I don't mind the immovable. But work. Jesus was all about rest. We don't work to be saved. We work because we're saved. Because we know him and we see the work that he's done and we take that on and we're ambassadors and we want to go out and he's, we're in his kingdom and he sends us out as ambassadors into the world. We're on a mission. We've got work to do. And yet so much our culture says that we work to rest at the weekend or we work for the really nice holiday. I do like holidays. I haven't been to the Mediterranean in too long. I miss it. We don't, we shouldn't. We shouldn't work for rest. We shouldn't just work so that we can rest at the end of it. We should work for God because he is good 
and he has done these things for us. Work isn't about us, it's about him. And I'm not just talking about your paid employment. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, it should be on the screen, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. And if you can't do it to the glory of God, probably shouldn't be doing it. Probably shouldn't be doing that thing. But you can eat and you can drink and you can rest and you can go to bed. You can do all that to the glory of God. You can do all that working for God. Our work is not in vain, says knowing. So when you're abounding, when you're doing all your work, you know that everything you're doing, your labor, your work, it's not in vain. It's not wasted. Nothing you're doing is wasted. Nothing you're doing. In Ecclesiastes, which is a strange book that will make you feel very depressed in the Old Testament, it starts off by saying, at least in my uh, New Living Translation I used to read, um, it says, everything is meaningless at the beginning. It says, everything is meaningless. In some versions it says, everything is vanity. Or everything is vapor. Everything we can try and achieve is vapor, it's vanity, it's meaningless. And yet here it says that, uh, it says that, Your labor is not in vain. At the end of Ecclesiastes, uh, probably Solomon who wrote it, uh, makes the point. He says, it says on the screen, fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. That's his conclusion after like 12 chapters, after talking about how pointless everything is and about how you'll never find anything that really satisfies. He says, at the end of the day, Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. It's the only thing we can do that's not in vain is for God. And it has eternal results. And I made this point a little bit earlier that um, I think sometimes we get this impression of the resurrection of the new heaven and the new earth. We get this impression that it's going to be like a hard reset, like there's going to be nothing like it was before. And, it's gonna, and, and we're not going to know each other and, and nothing that I did is really going to matter because now we're just in this beautiful world that God has made. But you've got to remember Jesus, when he uh, rose again, he still, he still uh, the, what he did before he rose again still matters. It still matters. We still read the Gospels. What he said and did has an impact into the now. And what we say and do now will have an impact into uh, the new heaven and the new earth, the resurrected life that we live. Jesus bore the marks of his crucifixion so that Thomas could feel his side and his hands. He still had the marks of his life in his resurrection body. You will still have the marks of your life in your resurrection body. I don't know what that's going to look like. It's not like questions, the excuses. Jesus bore the marks of his life. It's not a hard reset. It's not like Jesus' new body, no marks. Facelift, beautiful hair, I don't know. When he was resurrected, he still had the marks of his crucifixion. What marks are you going to take into your resurrection body? What suffering for Jesus? What sacrifice for the Lord are you doing now that will you take into the resurrection world? What impact are you having that will have an impact 
into uh, the resurrection life. Ephesians 2 verse 10 should be on the screen. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What good things, what good works, what abounding has God prepared for you to do? What are you going to be doing? What are you doing now? Are you working for yourself? Or are you working for God? If you work for yourself, it's vanity. If you work for God, it's eternal. It's meaningful. Lastly, I have to mention rewards. The Bible does talk about rewards. In Luke 14, verse 13 to 14, that's on the screen. It says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's the resurrection we're talking about. You'll be repaid for what you're doing now. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. What good works could you be walking in? That maybe you've put to one side. So as we close, I'll pray in a second, but there are, and uh, Rory will come up and, um, and uh, lead us in a song. But I want us to reflect on three questions uh, which should be on the screen. Do you struggle to be steadfast? Do you, do you struggle to hold on to Jesus? Are you immovable or do you shift in the truth? And are you working for him who called you? Or are you working for yourself or just other people? Are you working for him who called you? Uh, let us pray. God, we just thank you for your resurrection that guarantees our resurrection. We thank you that, we, uh, that in you we have the victory. In you, death is defeated. You call us to greater things. You see uh, potential in me that, that I will reflect your glory. You want to bring me from one degree of glory to another. You want to change me. Thank you. You won't leave me as I am, but you're here with me. You're here with us, changing us, helping us. You're so good to us, God. Be with us, Lord God, we pray as we face tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the horrible things that may come up to us, the real life things where we need to be immovable, the real life things where we need to be steadfast and the real life moments when we need to say, God, I hate this, but it's for your glory. It's for you, God. Let it all be for you. Change us, change me. We're all works in progress. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but you call us to something greater and something more. Thank you, God, that you've called us into your love and into your ways. Help us reflect on these things. In Jesus' name, amen.